Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Wang Mang. Two lines from a poem by the Tang Dynasty poet Bai Juyi have become proverbial in Chinese. Zhou Gong Kong Ju Liu Yan Ru, Wang Mang Qian Gong Wei Chuan Shi. Those days when Duke Zhou was afraid of rumors about him. Those times when Wang Mang was universally liked before he usurped the throne. There's also a slightly modified, misremembered version of the quotation: "Zhou Gong Kong Ju Liu Yan Ru, Wang Mang Qian Gong Xia Shi Shi." Those days when Duke Zhou was afraid of rumors about him. Those days when Wang Mang was kind to all his underlings. The expression in either form can serve as a commentary on politics and politicians. See, Duke Zhou from the early Zhou Dynasty, some three thousand years ago, is remembered in Chinese history as a great statesman. Though he was never king, he served as the architect of the Zhou Dynasty's authority, developing. The feudal system on which the Zhou relied, but of course, as is the case with public personalities, Duke Zhou made political choices in his time that were controversial. And so, as Bai Juyi put it, there must have been times when he was worried about what the political rumor mills were saying about him. As for the other guy, Bai Juyi mentioned. The other guy in the proverbial saying, Wang Mang. Well, today's episode is about him. Wang Mang was born in 45 BC during the Han Dynasty. His family claimed descent from the semi-mythical ancient king Shun, and closer in time, and therefore more credibly, the royal family of the kingdom of Qi from the Warring States period. The surname Wang, of course, means king. The story goes that although the royal family of the kingdom of Qi was surnamed Tian, after the Qi fell to the conquering army of the Qing Dynasty, former Qi subjects took to calling the family the Wang family, i.e., the family of the king, the royal family. In time, the family simply changed its name and became the Wang family. Finally, most relevantly, Wang Mang was the nephew of Wang Zhengjun, who was married to Emperor Yuan Di of the Han, which made her Empress Wang. And if you remember some of our previous episodes focusing on the Han Dynasty, you may recall that the Han court had a habit of allowing male relatives of empresses to dominate politics. In Empress Wang's case, when Emperor Yuan Di ascended the throne in 48 BC, he made his father-in-law a lord, the Marquis of Yangping. Empress Wang's brother, not Wang Mang's father, but his older uncle, Wang Feng, then inherited the lordship and became a general and a top minister at court, holding the position called Sima. Yes, Sima, as in the surname of historian Sima Qian, a name 
that was also a title in ancient China, one of the most powerful positions at court. Other Wang brothers also took key posts. Ironically, all but Wang Mang's father, who had the misfortune of dying young. Wang Mang attached himself to this powerful uncle Wang Feng, serving him faithfully and behaving as though a son. And when Emperor Yuan Di died in 33 BC, his son, with Empress Wang, succeeded him as Emperor Chengdi of the Han. That also made Wang Feng Emperor Chengdi's uncle, and Wang Mang Emperor Chengdi's cousin. In 22 BC, Wang Feng fell ill and died. Wang Mang cared for his uncle in his last days, when obviously he could have left the work to servants. Wang Feng was apparently terribly moved by his nephew's affection, so on his deathbed. He commended Wang Mang to the care of his sister, Empress Wang. Through continued nepotism by virtue of his aunt, then Wang Mang continued to rise up through the Han bureaucracy. But it must be noted, at this time, as a young official, Wang Mang was famous for being squeaky clean, and for being kind to underlings, and for. Going out of his way to help the poor. Another uncle liked him so much that he volunteered to have a portion of his fiefdom given to Wang Mang instead. And in 16 BC, Wang Mang received his own fiefdom when he was made the Marquis of Xingdu. In 8 BC, Wang Mang, like his uncles before him, took up the position of Sima. He was thirty-eight years old. The following year, though, seven BC, Emperor Chengdi died without a son. So he was succeeded by his nephew, Emperor Aidi of the Han. When Aidi ascended the throne as a teenager, the first thing that happened was that the Wang family lost power. Emperor Aidi was Emperor Chengdi's younger brother's son, so Aidi had his own mother, and set of relatives through that maternal relationship. He also had his own wife, and her male relatives to find jobs for.、And、yes, he had a wife, despite being famously homosexual. Emperor Aidi openly slept arm in arm with his male companion. The story goes that one day, waking from a nap, Emperor Aidi saw that his boyfriend lying next to him was still asleep, and the boyfriend lay on the long sleeve of the emperor's robe. Not wishing to disturb his lover's sleep, Emperor Aidi cut off his sleeve rather than to try to pull it away. Ever since then. To cut off one's sleeve became a Chinese expression for love and care for one's beloved. But I digress. In any event, the family members of Emperor Aidi's mother and wife pushed out the Wang family, including Wang Mang, and took up positions of power themselves. Wang Mang left politics 
moved to the fiefdom granted to him and lived in seclusion. During this time in the wilderness, Wang Mang's second son got into trouble for killing a domestic servant. As a member of a powerful family, he could have gotten away with it, but Wang Mang was so angry at his own son for taking a human life that not only did he not help his son get away with murder, he demanded that his son commit suicide, which the young man did. For this act, Wang Mang again won a lot of positive publicity. In one BC, Emperor Ai Di died, again without a son. At this time, Wang Mang's aunt, Empress Wang, was able to interpose herself in the succession process because she somehow controlled the imperial seal, which ritualistically was a symbol of imperial authority and necessary for succession. She named another cousin as emperor, eight-year-old Emperor Pingdi of Han, a choice approved of by the Mandarin class. Then she brought her own family members back into power. So Wang Mang returned to his high position of Sima, gaining command over the palace guards. He took pains to prevent more relatives of other families from gaining power, in particular, preventing Emperor Pingdi's mother from even visiting him. Then, in three A.D., Wang Mang married his daughter to Emperor Pingdi, making himself the emperor's father-in-law. Nonetheless, as Emperor Pingdi grew older, he seemed to increasingly resent the way Wang Mang arrogated power upon himself. And then in 5 A.D., Emperor Pingdi died, aged only 14. According to Zizhi Tongjian, the history written a thousand years later during the Northern Song Dynasty, the cause of death was poisoning, and it was Wang Mang who poisoned the emperor. But the Han Shu, the history of the Han Dynasty, written within about a century of this event. Does not record how exactly Emperor Pingdi died. It only says that Emperor Pingdi's illness made it impossible for him to speak. For that reason, he left no last will and testament. In fairness to Wang Mang, who certainly looks like our prime suspect here, history also records that Emperor Pingdi always suffered from poor health, even as a young child. There's a theory that he had a congenital heart condition. Regardless, die he did, and now it was up to Wang Mang to pick the next emperor. Wang Mang chose another cousin from among the members of the imperial clan, and he pretty much picked the youngest one he could find, the one-year-old baby, known to history as Ru Ziying. Known to history as such, and not as Emperor So and So, because he was so young that technically he never ascended the throne. And Wang Mang now became regent, or, and this was something people really called him at the time, the false emperor, the guy who was emperor in everything but name. 
As you can imagine, not everyone was happy about this. Some tried to talk Wang Meng out of it, while some others raised the banner of rebellion, but to no avail. In 9 A.D., Wang Meng cast aside the pretense and cast aside the child in whose name he ruled. He declared the Han Dynasty over. The new dynasty would be called, well, literally the New Dynasty, the Xing Dynasty. Xing meaning new, and he, Wang Meng, was now emperor. It was a unique moment in Chinese history, a unique event, a bloodless coup carried out by a Mandarin. A fascinating thing about Wang Meng is that he genuinely regarded himself as a proponent of Confucianism, despite apparently engaging in all manners of political subterfuge that Confucius and Mencius wouldn't have approved of. So now that he had power. He instituted a series of reforms to reverse much of the evolution that had happened during the Han Dynasty. First, he tried to bring the bureaucracy back to its form during the Zhou Dynasty, the time of Confucius. But many of these changes were simply about what titles officials and lords of the realm held, just a matter of names. Other changes sought to bring back old-timey feudalism, which was often impractical. Wang Meng decreed land reforms to try to reduce economic inequality, banning local landowners from holding too much property. But local property owners weren't going to give up land they already controlled without a fight. A simple decree wasn't enough to do the job. And the land ownership system that prevailed under the Zhou Dynasty was little more than a distant memory at this point, not a practical solution that anyone would adopt. Wang Meng sort of objected to the institution of slavery, in its ancient Chinese form, obviously, not as it was practiced in pre-Civil War America or anywhere else. But he didn't want to go so far as to ban the ownership of slaves. He merely prohibited their sale. So if you already had slaves, you could still have them. But if you could no longer afford them, you couldn't sell them. Conversely, if you got rich and wanted to live the life of the rich, you couldn't acquire slaves to work your estate. The natural consequence of this policy, of course, was the rise of a black market for slaves. So slaves were still bought and sold, just under the table through illegal transactions and without any legal protection. In a move resembling policies undertaken in twentieth-century socialist economies, Wang Meng instituted price controls over. Various categories of goods and economic activities. To some extent, earlier Han emperors already tried price controls at various times, but Wang Meng took the concept to a new height. And they and he ran into the same sort of problems that modern socialist countries 
or even localities in capitalist economies like New York City ran into as well. And under him, the government began to lend money to average people when they needed a loan. Now, this policy actually helped people, because until then, only private parties could serve as moneylenders, and they were often usurers charging exorbitant interests, whereas the government charged a flat interest. Finally, Wang Mang sought to reform Chinese coinage. This seemed to have been a totally unnecessary act. I, for one, cannot see what policy problem he could have been trying to solve. Again, Wang Meng seemed so enamored of the past that he simply wanted things to go back to the way they were centuries earlier. So he decreed that things that could be used as currency back in the day would again be acceptable as legal tender. So now, gold, silver, copper, seashells, and turtle shells were all considered money, as well as the existing Han Dynasty coinage in circulation. This caused terrible confusion in the Chinese economy. In foreign policy, Wang Meng believed that not only should no one other than the Chinese emperor be called emperor, but no one else should even be called a king. Again, this was a throwback to Chinese political ideology from the ancient past. So he demanded foreign leaders, such as the Khans of the Xiongnu, to accept this demotion and be recognized only as lords by the Chinese government. The Xiongnu leaders basically said, uh, screw you. So, in 11 AD, Wang Meng sent 300,000 troops to attack them. The following year, Wang Meng demanded that Goguryeo, a predecessor state to modern Korea, join the war on the Chinese side. Goguryeo not only refused, but rebelled against China as well. These and other wars dragged on for years without success for the Chinese. Then, natural disasters struck. In 17 AD, locusts descended upon parts of the country, and droughts struck other parts, leading to famine, which in turn touched off massive rebellions. The two most significant rebel groups were called the Red Eyebrows, because, well, they painted their eyebrows red as a sort of uniform, and the Army of the Green Forest. We don't need to get into the details of the war, but suffice to say that the Red Eyebrows and the Army of the Green Forest both gave the Xing government forces a real run for their money. In 23 AD, Wang Meng held a crying-to-heaven ceremony, calling on the gods to aid him. Obviously, this was not much of a practical solution to his problems, and later that year, the army of the Green Forest sacked the capital city, Chang'an. Wang Meng was killed in the chaos, aged 68.
Thus ended the short-lived Xing Dynasty. So short that it's usually not enumerated as one of the dynasties of Chinese history, but only as an interregnum. That view helped, obviously, by the fact that another cousin from the Han imperial clan stepped forth at this moment and claimed the throne, restoring the Han dynasty as Emperor Guangwu. But, obviously, that man deserves his own episode, so we won't talk more about him right now. You won't be surprised to learn that Wang Mang got written up in the Han Chronicles as just the absolute worst. And influenced by the Han Dynasty chroniclers, later historians throughout the centuries also generally took a dim view of Wang Mang. Hence those lines from the Bai Juyi poem that I began with. Those days when Duke Zhou was afraid of rumors about him, those times when Wang Mang was universally liked before he usurped the throne. I.e., even a politician as evil as Wang Mang had a time when everyone thought well of him before he fully showed his true character. Interestingly, though, Modern scholars have been kinder to Wang Mang. Hu Shi, the greatest public intellectual of Republican China, described Wang Mang as an ancient socialist, arguing that his policy goals were laudable just 19 centuries ahead of their time. Historian Qian Mu saw Wang Mang as too much of an idealist, a scholar who wanted things to be just so, failing to recognize that real life often didn't conform with even our keenest aspirations. Raymond Huang, or Huang Renyu, the Chinese-American historian, also saw Wang Mang as a man who lived with his head in the clouds, an utterly impractical man. Historian Lu Simian felt it was unfair of us to accept the Han chronicler's representations. Wang Mang had positive attributes, but according to the Han chroniclers, these were all false performances meant to earn political credit and public support. He really did seem to lead a frugal life even after he became emperor, and his wife dressed so plainly that she was mistaken for a servant. So his political motivations appeared not to be to benefit himself or his family. And though his reforms failed, perhaps the man deserved some credit for trying. The Swedish Sinologist and Columbia University professor Hans Bielenstein argued that Wang Mang's policies didn't fail quite as spectacularly as traditional accounts said and the fall of the Xing dynasty was largely the result of the Yellow River changing course, as it sometimes did throughout Chinese history, always causing widespread devastation and famine. Finally, the Chinese-Taiwanese author Bo Yang wrote in his Outline History of China that Wang Mang at least deserved credit for gaining power through a bloodless coup, 
a much more pleasant variety than the usual kind of revolution that always resulted in millions of deaths. Anyway, that's the story of Wang Meng. What you choose to think of him is entirely up to you. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.